0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of CXCast. We are back live in the studio for part two with Dayton Samarjan from CA. And we're going to continue our conversation from last week, where we're talking about CA's progress on customer experience, but also talking about some of the things that they're looking forward to for the next year to continue driving NPS and revenue improvement. So Dayton and Adele, both of you, welcome back for part two of our conversation.
1: Thank you, Sam and Adele. It's great to be back
2: four years ago, if you could go back, is there something you wish you'd known or you wish you'd done differently?
1: Let's get the rear view mirror out and uh, do the Monday morning quarterbacking. I'll tell you, the the funniest thing did happen, and I had never experienced this before in my career. I spent an inordinate amount of time making that financial case because I thought people were going to say no. And so imagine walking into an executive, I'll just pretend it's a 40 slide deck there are 35 slides on make, making the economic case of why we should do it, what the return on investment is going to be, why it's good for employees, shareholders, customers, communities, and then kind of five around what are the first moves on implementation. I went into our CFO's office. I got through three slides. And he's like, I got it. This is important. You've you've proven it. I totally understand it. Tell me exactly what we need to do next and lay out the plan. And so I had almost over-rotated on that business case because I just knew how difficult it is in a large organization to get everybody to rally uh, behind something. So in hindsight, I might have skinnied down a little bit of the time and effort on that and gone longer into what the implementation plan was. And even as I think about implementation, we're just now starting to really go deep on some of the customer-centric behaviors that customers want to see more of. So we did a lot of structural work, a lot of programmatic work. But getting down to the individual by function and being able to articulate very cleanly and very clearly what are the behaviors, Adele, that customers would like to see you do differently. And Sam, here's what customers would like to see you do differently. And the reason I know that is I have ten or 15,000 verbatims from our collective customers telling us what they like, what they don't like, and by your function. That's a really powerful, rich set of information. And actually, to your credit, Sam – you actually had come in and in one of the workshops that you had done with us that was a uh, another watershed moment like wow this is a huge piece that we hadn't really plugged into our system yet knowing what i know now i think i would have started that one earlier because that one takes a little while and that's true deep individual and organizational behavioral change
0: that's great and i appreciate that i think it's a really good point though just to hop back about 30 seconds the idea of you know optimistically being mm-hmm. ready for yes with your plan right, right. As, as good feedback, good guidance to some of your peers. And I do think your success with getting the buy-in on the financials, it was probably obvious, even though you were only threw three slides, how much work you had done.
1: There was clear evidence here for this. Well, and the other thing I'll just put into that is I think one of the key things in building any case is to have the finance organization in the room, have yeah. them involved. So at the end of the day, These are finance-validated numbers because their job, and they do it well, is to be skeptical, to challenge what are the assumptions, where's the weakness in this model, what are the big risks that we should be aware of. And so to have them on that team early and be part of that process is always invaluable. That's a great point.
0: And I love your note about all of the customer verbatims right, as the guidance to employees about behaviors. right? right. This is what we're hearing from customers. They like and don't like and what we need to work on based on... Their evidence, their feedback, this is real. It's hard to dispute it if it's coming directly from the customer.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you what, about a month ago, we just started taking uh, the verbatims and putting them up on our internal website that 11,000 employees see and started rotating the verbatims across the front page from promoters, passives, and detractors so people can see, here's what our customers are saying about us. Here's some things they like. Here's some things they don't like. You don't have to wait for the big presentation to come out after a, a survey closes, like we're trying to democratize that information and let people have access to it in many different places all the time. So the customer, the pulse, the voice just becomes part of what we do and not a uh, an asynchronous event.
2: Are there any other ways you've helped employees really get the feel of what passives and detractors are telling you are, are problems?
1: So one of the programs that is really a lot of fun and it took some courage and it took a great executive sponsor and it was actually the president again, Adam Elster. We had been talking about customer centricity and kind of the topic came up like, how do we expand it? Like, sure, sales lives that every day. Marketing lives that every day. The support and customer success organization lives it every day. How do we get other people to really understand it and really build empathy is what we were going after as well as how do we improve the relationship with our customers? So He encouraged us to build a, um, we call it a customer engagement program. It's for non-facing customer employees who can basically put up their hand and volunteer, come in and pick up the phone, call our customers to close the loop either with an NPS survey in one of our customer segments and they get trained to do this or maybe for a renewal that's going to come up, but maybe it's a couple years away. And so we just want to connect with the customers to understand, are they getting value for what they bought from us? And if not... We need to take action and point it to the right people. So the finance organization, I stood up at the CFO's kind of annual meeting and he said, all right, get up there and give the pitch and recruit some people. And so I said, all right, I got up on stage. I gave my rousing pitch. Good thing you'd been in sales before. Good thing I'd been in sales before. Exactly. And I asked for 20 volunteers and he cut me off and he's like, Dayton, what are you talking about? 20 volunteers? He goes, how about 200? Like, I'd like to see 200 people, you know, put up their hand and volunteer for this and, you know. When the CFO speaks, people listen. And so we had about 200 volunteers. We had people from finance, HR, strategy, the IT organization, all coming through, getting trained, then getting on the phone, having a conversation with our customers, which you can imagine for that crowd is a little bit terrifying coming out of the gate. So we were learning as we went. We built a buddy system. We built kind of office hours to train. We did kind of buddy calls together and get the pizza and bring everybody in a room and let's do it all together, make it fun. Let's focus on having a nice employee experience. And that was just an absolutely phenomenal way to get everybody engaged and not just some of the functions. And, and yeah. since we have done that every year for a couple of years, the other thing that we actually notice also, which is nice, wasn't the design, but it's nice, which are the financial outcomes of those customers are better as well. They tend to be happier. They tend to want to do more business with CA. They tend to have stronger relationships with CA, all because all of our employees are wrapping themselves around the customer and making sure we hear it, we talk to them. If they have a problem, we're routing it, getting it closed off, and having a better experience And it can be for anybody in the company, which is really nice you're seeing a better relationship with those companies who are part of this
0: program or have been contacted really for the employees points back to the impact they've had, right? That it was worth it, right? The, yeah. Overcoming their fear for many of them, right? I mean, a lot of these people route into non-client facing jobs.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because they're more comfortable with a spreadsheet than a, yeah. than a human. Yeah. And I can appreciate the fact that spreadsheets don't talk back unless you program it to speak a certain way, which is always a wonderful thing. But the other thing, like I kind of breezed over it But in that, the reason that happened, and it happened pretty quickly, and it happened pretty effectively, is I actually had sponsorship from two executives, president, head of global sales, and the CFO, who went all in on this. And so for the folks out there who are listening, that's just one thing that you can never have enough of. You can never have enough support from them on a regular basis. And so then closing the loop, thanking, publishing back the results, always important and always a good thing to do.
0: And I think one of the things that's coming up in that executive support is you have translated it, maybe learning from that when you weren't quite as prepared as you wanted to be for the yes you got from the CEO, is you've translated that support into, great, now here's what you can do to help me, right? The CFO uh, committing his people to to this program, those types of steps where it takes it and translates it into into real actions, real gains for your program.
1: You know what, I think that's a super important word, translate. I glossed over a little bit, but When you're making that case or whatever you're trying to get accomplished, the executive team, they're a team and it's the CEO that is the only one in that room that's responsible essentially for everything. And so when you are engaging with senior people, translating what the program means in terms and the vocabulary that matters to them. If you're talking to HR about individual development and employee engagement, that's fantastic. If you're talking to marketing, talking about the brand and how it's resonating and building the brand, that's fantastic. Uh, you know, Finance clearly will have a conversation about numbers, but the other thing to the CFO's credit is he recognized that if you want to be the CFO, if that's your path, you need to be able to talk to customers. You need to be, be able to go into the analyst community and talk to analysts. You need to be able to interact. So while you may have chosen a life where, it's primarily around numbers. Actually, from a career development perspective, that's how this was kind of put together. You need to be able to have a conversation with customers. And some of you are going to be more comfortable than others. But as part of your development, this is actually a very good thing to do.
2: And it's okay to be uncomfortable, right?
1: Oh, it means you're growing. It means you're growing. It means you're learning something new and trying something new. And, you know, we actually tracked the employee opinion scores that we did an employee NPS. Some people totally loved the program. It was a big deal for them. Some people were like, thanks i'm one and done we actually tracked the number of people who kind of reloaded and said i want to do another round you know it was over half uh, so we we're very very happy about that and we had continued to do this on an annual basis which is super super nice it's wonderful because it keeps the program fresh it keeps the employees engaged and at the end of the day it's wonderful to have 11,000 people caring about your customers and actually doing something about it which is nice what do you imagine in a year's time if this Great improvement
0: NPS continues. What will you be pointing to in the last year as successful? So that it, from now
1: until mid 2018, what is, what is your success going to be built on? We put together a plan last summer. We called it CX 2020. It's the what is our plan over the next three years that's going to get us to a certain level of customer sentiment, a, uh, an NPS target, a certain level of engagement with our employees. And we asked ourselves the basic question what's most important? Is it people? And is it the culture and focusing on that? Is it the products? I mean, after all, we're a software company. And so we build products that have to solve problems, have to be high quality and industrial strength, or is it kind of just taking a good enough product and wrapping it in a great customer experience? And for SCX 2020, said, so the answer is actually, it's all three. It's the overlap of the three that's magic. It's getting an inspiring employees, teaching them the right behaviors that will deliver that great experience. It's helping get the voice of the customer back into the development organization through agile development and beta testing and user groups so they can build products that matter, that are relevant and differentiated. And then, of course, it is with the customer success and customer experience organization to orchestrate it and wrap it all and deliver it in that great customer experience. That's what we're working on right now. The piece in there that I think is new that I think is gonna be a big effort for us this year, I know is getting functional and getting specific by behaviors. What are the behaviors that our customers wanna see more or less of from the support organization? We know what those are. What do they wanna see more or less of from the finance organization, the legal organization, our sales organization, the development organization? The team has done a wonderful job, if we call it like swimming through the data and doing a tagging, doing some clustering, validating with our customers but we actually know what our customers want more and less of and we're going to spend the year bringing people along doing some co-creation work changing our management systems changing the rewards and recognition systems and basically moving these customer behaviors into the dna of ca wow as the uh, culture guy and the
0: research team here that's really exciting to hear yeah
1: It's hard too, by the way,
0: as the the culture
1: guy, you know, like this move is not the first move you do coming out of the gates. You've got to get some wins, build some credibility. That's right. But now, I think now is the time for us. This is the next big chasm for us to cross. Yeah.
2: You've clearly had to explain this to people before getting into the very specific behaviors. How should they think about delivering a better experience?
1: After doing some of the customer immersions, like you ask yourself the basic question, like you ask a room of people, like, How many people have had a great customer experience and, you know, they raise their hand, tell me a story and people tell a story. How many have had a terrible customer experience? Okay, tell the story. Okay. How many people want to deliver a terrible customer experience? Go ahead and put your hand up. Like nobody's ever, in the history of me asking that question and hearing it asked, nobody's ever raised their hand. And then you throw some data on the table. You throw an NPS, you throw a journey map, you throw some customer verbatims, you play some customers taped who've had a bad experience and they're voicing it and say, Well, why do we do this? Because we do do this. That sets the stage for, Well, I don't think I'm giving a bad customer experience. So prior to this, I might not have been that open to change. I'm hearing that what I'm doing, I feel good about it, but maybe the customer doesn't feel good about it. And so for like 99% of the world, the next question that is going to come out of their mouth is Well, what is it that they want me to do? And when you have that environment set. That is the environment necessary, the precondition necessary to say, funny you ask. We've looked at 15,000 responses and here's what they have to say. One of the folks from our legal organization, I should be hesitant to talk about our legal team here publicly, but they're wonderful. They're really progressive. They're thought leaders. They're flexible. They're agile. And one of the people from the legal team kind of had this epiphany when we talked about some contracting process and Things like that, and he said, "Oh, I, you know, I, I get it now." Said, okay, what do you get? And he said, "You know, my role has been to protect the company. I mean, it's legal, and there's yeah. terms in the contract. And while my job is to protect the company, of course, my, they're my customer, and I want to have a long-term relationship yeah. with them. So I have to think about their protection too, as well. So instead of sitting across the table like we're doing right now, metaphorically in his mind, he sits next to the customer and says, yeah. Okay. Here's what we need. What do you need to get out of this? What are the risks you're most concerned about? Here's what we're concerned about. And let's just cut right to it of like what's most important to you. And here's what's important to us, not because they want to have a contract that's airtight and, and, you know, the T's and C's are perfect, but they want to have a great relationship with their customers. And their goal is to never have to pull the contract out ever. That if an issue comes up, that that person on their side of the table now, We'll pick up the phone, have a conversation with them, and they'll figure out how they work it out. This is the legal organization, yeah. right? And so if the legal team has grabbed this and is thinking about it, and our, our general counsel, Michael Abizignano, was like one of the most kind of innovative. He, he won a CX award actually inside of a CA for being such a thought leader with us around this. If that's how the legal team is thinking about it, like imagine what's going on in sales, marketing support, customer success, HR is jumping in. And now it's a rich environment because the employees know it's important. We're moving in the right direction. Everybody is on board, and now they want to make it how they just operate. Not a separate initiative, but just how we do business and how we operate inside of CA. That's fantastic.
2: You're just watching light bulbs go off. All the time.
1: I am, but I'm also making sure with our small little team, we're running as fast as we can to make sure that while that moment is open, while the mind is flexible and open to feedback, because it's not always, you know, if there's fear going on, if there's, you know, a difficult environment, massive change going on, sometimes people tense up and they close up. With that mind open right now, we are running and moving as fast as we can to teach, to instruct, to have customers show up and validate the new behaviors. We're running really hard right now, and I think that'll be our conversation next summer. Like, hey, Dayton, how did it go? (laughs) Yeah, right, exactly.
2: (laughs) You've built a lot of great expertise over the last four years. What advice would you give your fellow CX practitioners?
1: Great question, and I think the short version of it is don't do it alone. There's so many great resources out there, and I realize I'm sitting here at Forrester, of course, but there's so many great resources out there, whether, whether it's on the Internet, whether it's conferences. And one of the areas that I've probably got the most value out of personally and professionally to move my program forward is in the area of, you know, like-minded group communities and specifically join a community. Forrester has the CX Leadership Council, uh, which I participate in, which is absolutely fantastic. Folks like Bain have the loyalty program. I meet a lot of people over there. By the way, there's a lot of people on both of those because people are looking for the best practices, who's pushing the state of the art, what works, what doesn't. And so sometimes as you read books from practitioners and things like that, it appears that everything works. But when you get into implementation, sometimes there's a sequencing issue. There's frankly nothing better than to actually talk to other practitioners to talk about what works, what doesn't work. I always talk about it going in sharing your successes and sorrows and walking out kind of reinvigorated, rejuvenated with new ideas about what to do and how to do it. It's gratifying to help other people, which I spend a reasonable amount of time doing. And I also know when I need help and I put up my hand, people come racing to help because we are in the same community trying to solve, not the same problem, but trying to achieve that elusive, perfect customer experience on a consistent basis. And so I would just say, get involved with a group that's meaningful, that has good people in there. I mentioned a couple, there might be a couple more out there as well. Uh, CXPA is an organization, for sure, that has a uh, great online presence as well. There are a number of things that people can join, and I just I strongly, strongly recommend that you do so.
0: Fantastic. Dayton, it's been a pleasure having you in studio. We really
1: appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Adele. Bye, everyone. Thank
0: you for listening to this week's CXCast. We'll post links to the reports we mentioned in the the show notes for this podcast. And if you have questions or suggestions, please contact me at sstern at com. And remember, your customer's perception is your CX reality.